This is Perinomics podcast number 40, and today we're talking about the aerodynamics of arrows. And these arrows have different veins. So the veins are those flights at the back, those feathers, and they're there to help stabilize the arrow's flight. And to look into this, we're looking at a paper called Experimental and Computational Studies of Archery Arrows Fleshed with Straight Veins. This is an open access paper, and you can find it in the link in the description if you want to play along at home. And the reason why this is a good paper is because they looked into different Reynolds numbers and um, their effects on the drag and also different um, flights, so different lengths. And that also made a difference. So straight up, they said that the aerodynamic characteristics of arrows fleshed with two types of straight veins were studied. And they found that at a Reynolds number of 12,000, their CD values were 1.56 and 2.05. For the two different types of veins they looked up, they found that the shorter veins, the shorter feathers, had a lower drag, so 1.56 instead of the large ones having 2.05, so 30% more. They also looked into how much the arrow decelerates over the course of its flight, which is really cool. And they found it was about 8% for the distance they were looking at. We'll cover more into that later. And they also looked at the turbulent to laminar boundary layer transition. And this is important because um, when pretty much with almost every object, when this occurs, the, the transition, the flow physics will change. And the arrow is no ex exception here. They found that when the, when the boundary layer transitioned, they had a very different drag. And we'll look into that as well. And they cover quite a bit of the theory of, of arrows. They say that um, in one study, for example, two different points, so the arrow tips, were studied, one which is a called a bulge tip and one which is a streamlined tip. And they found that at a Reynolds number of 24,000, the boundary layer seems to have been fully turbulent when they were using a bulge tip. For the streamlined one, the values were more in the laminar range. So this shows that even the tip affects what um, the flow over the arrow is. Now, interestingly, a, a Reynolds number of 24,000 is not that high to have a transition to turbulence, particularly in the free stream, um, not in a pipe flow, in like a typical free stream flow. So this is a very low Reynolds number. Usually you would expect it to be between maybe 100,000 and 500,000. So obviously arrows are subjected to a much lower Reynolds number for transition. They then also say that because um, you know now these different types of points, affect the boundary layer transition, you can then select the right point to be able to control that laminar turbulent boundary layer and be able to shoot your arrows straighter and further. So if you want to shoot them straighter and further, you go for a laminar tip, which will then reduce the drag on the arrow, which then will keep it going farther and it won't drop as much in its flight. So it'll become more accurate overall. So that's a, that's a cool finding. They also said that this other paper, Miyazaki, uh, also study the response of arrows fleshed with two different types of curved veins. And it's concluded that the veins, so the, the feathers, those little flights on the back, with a larger area, it was possible to improve the stabilization of the arrows during the flights. So in other words, having larger flights, larger veins, increased the stability of the arrows during their flight, made them fly truer. And that makes sense because that's what they're there for. They're there to um, resist other forces, they're there to produce a restorative force so that the arrow will remain on track. And they also said that uh, in one 
paper, this um, team of researchers looked at the flight of an arrow over a 70 meter distance, and they found that the velocity decayed 15% by the end. So that's quite a lot. And they said that uh, in this paper, though, they're going to be looking at a 55 meter indoor archery range. And that's important because the indoor archery range doesn't have any wind to mess with the flight. So this is kind of like perfect conditions and also means that it's more repeatable. So they go into the description of the arrows. They say that they're using a bulge type point. So the one that creates turbulence at a lower Reynolds number. They also had the total length of the arrow was 63.8 centimeters. So about two feet. The had three straight plastic veins on each arrow end. And then these ones, these veins were either uh, ones called Eastern diamond veins size 175 or size 280. And I have a picture below for those of you playing at home. The smaller ones are about half, maybe 60% of the length of the bigger ones, but they're definitely a lot smaller in terms of their surface area. The, the actual width of them are much more like a third smaller in that size as well. Now, in terms of the mass of the arrow, because this also affects how much an arrow would decelerate, the ones with the short veins, they were 14.2 grams, whereas the ones with the large veins were 15.3 grams. So fairly similar weights, only about 7% difference or so between them. And then they go into their uh, methodology, their free flight and experiments. So for the free flight tests, they said that they were performed in the indoor archery range of 55 meters using a compressed air launching system. So effectively like a cannon device where they put the arrow in there and then they shoot it out. So that's pretty cool. And they said that this propulsion system allowed them to fix the arrows in a steady position before the shot by inserting them into the cannon. And that the compressed air launching system also prevented the air, the arrow, sorry, it prevents the arrow from showing the characteristic flexural oscillation that would be present if the arrow was shot with a recurved bow. So what they mean is if you have a regular bow, like the, the quintessential bow that you see on TV, not, not the fancy one, but just the regular um, piece of wood, when the arrow goes around the actual bow, it will then bend around it. And that's, um, that's not as good for its flight, I guess. So they want to get rid of that. They said that with their machine, they were able to shoot their arrows up to 75 meters per second, but they decided to stick to, I guess, 48 to 57 meters per second. And also have no ventilation in the indoor archery range to uh, reduce the amount of background wind interference. So again, more perfect conditions. Then they have this really cool instrument. They put the arrows in a magnetic wind tunnel. Now I'd never heard of this, but the way they explain it, it makes a lot of sense. So they say that, this magnetic wind tunnel allows them to suspend the arrows against gravity by using a magnetic field. So obviously the arrows need to be conductive to some extent. But from there, it was possible to obtain the aerodynamic loads exerted on the arrows from the variation in the electric current necessary to keep them in fixed positions. So what this means is you put the object in the wind tunnel. It's a magnetic wind tunnel. It uses a magnetic field to levitate the object. Then you run the air and then the loads that are produced on the object is go are going to try to move the object. To make it stay in one spot, you then need to increase the current of the magnetic wind tunnel to increase the strength of the magnetic field to resist these movements. And by doing that, you can then tell how much more energy you're using and then determine what the loads on the arrows are. 
this is an amazing piece of technology that I haven't thought about before or had seen. And it's really cool. Like this takes a lot of problems out of a lot of different applications because a lot of applications, for example, the arrow, if you were to install it in a wind tunnel, it's going to have a sting. This thing is the thing that holds it in place. And traditionally it's been, a sting has been the bane of an aerodynamicist's existence because every time you put it in there, you, you always wonder like, how much is this thing affecting my setup? How much is it affecting the results? But with this, it gets rid of that problem. So that's a really cool uh, piece of technology there. And then they go into the results. So let's talk about the results now, the juicy part. So for those of you playing along at home, on page four, they have the results. And one thing that we should cover is that the gamma, when I say gamma, that's the angle of attack. So they have two, uh, two figures here. The one on the left shows the drag coefficient of both arrows, so the short vein and the large vein, with a changing angle of attack. The right figure shows the drag coefficient of these two arrows with respect to the Reynolds number. So the Reynolds number is on the x-axis and the CDA is on the y-axis. So what they found was for the a constant Reynolds number of 10,000, at zero degree angle of attack, the drag coefficients were the lowest for the large and short veins, so 1.5 and 2 approximately for those two respectively. As the angle of attack increased, even just to 1.9 degrees, the drag coefficient dramatically increased. So now instead of being at 1.5, it's now above 3 for the short vein. Instead of being 2, it's now almost 3.5 for the large vein, so about double. And the reason why this occurs is because the boundary layer has now transitioned from laminar to turbulent. And this is amazing. It means that the angle attack affects what the boundary layer um, is like, which um, is not the case in many applications. For example, airfoils, increasing the angle attack by a few degrees won't change the boundary layer um, too much. But here it makes a massive difference, even just 1.9 degrees. And so why would the boundary layer um, transition increase the drag? They don't cover it here in the paper, but I'm going to discuss it a little bit because um, I think it's important. So in for an arrow, the, really the two major, I would say we could say there's probably three components of drag. There's the skin friction, there's the pressure drag, and there's going to be some sort of vortex drag or induced drag coming from the veins. So what this means is that when these arrows are pitched at certain angles, these veins are going to be producing effectively lift. That's also going to be producing some sort of vortex off of each one. Now, how strong that is, is probably not going to be very much, but it's still going to be there. So in these three components of drag, the skin friction, the pressure, and the induced drag, for an arrow, the main component of drag is going to be the skin friction. The pressure drag is going to be minimal because an arrow is quite streamlined. The induced drag is going to be fairly minimal as well because the arrow, the arrow veins are not very big and the angles of attack that they're operating at are very small. So the lift being produced is not that great. So it's going to be skin friction that's going to comprise the majority of the drag. So this makes sense because when you increase the, um, when you transition from laminar to turbulent, so you increase the um, velocity of the boundary layer near the surface, the skin friction increases. And this is what we're seeing here, I'm, I'm betting. That's the only thing that really makes sense here. So this increase in drag is because of the change in um, boundary layer condition going from laminar to turbulent, 
is due to the skin friction increase. Now the graph on the right, which has the Reynolds number versus the drag coefficient, it shows that as the Reynolds number increased, the, skin, the um, drag coefficient reduced. Now this tripped me up a little bit to begin with because um, the graph on the left showed that when you transition to turbulence, the drag coefficient increased, but the one on the right, with increasing Reynolds number, the drag dropped. The reason why we didn't see the, these two trends agree is because the one on the right, the neither arrow, um, we're, we're in turbulent flows yet. So that's what tricked me for a little bit. And I had to look into the, the um, Reynolds number <laughs> a little bit. And what they found was that the turbulence, the transition for these arrows were about 18,000. They only test up to 14,000 in this figure. So we're still completely in the, we're completely in the laminar range which means that um, we're not seeing that jump in drag coefficient yet because we're not reaching the turbulent um, flow yet. So on the left, the graph shows when you increase, when you become turbulent, the drag coefficient increases. The one on the left shows that as long as you stay laminar, an increase in Reynolds number will reduce the drag. So that's quite tricky there. There's a sweet spot, obviously, where you want it to be a fast flow, but not so fast that you have uh, turbulence. So they say, um, they just compare the two arrows briefly. They say at a Reynolds number of 12,000, the value of the drag coefficients were 1.56 and 2.05 for the short and large veins respectively. So we covered that a little bit, but they said for that Reynolds number. Then they said in the Reynolds number range from 15,500 to 19,500, with laminar and turbulent values of CD were found, indicating that the boundary layer transition was at this point. And that kind of agrees with the other, um, other research campaigns, which we covered at the start of the podcast, where they found that the um, bulge tip was experiencing a turbulent uh, a transition regime in about this Reynolds number two. So that's good to know. Now they look into the deceleration of the arrow over the course of its flight. So this is really cool. But before we go any further, I just want to say to make sure to check out Ethernetpreneurs, check out the instrumentation we do. We do the Atmosphere Hawk, which is an instrument to accurately measure the density of your air. The reason why that's important is because the density affects pretty much everything in your experiments, including the even just the velocity that you calculate of your wind tunnel. So if you don't have the right density, your your um, results are going to be erroneous, even two, three, four percent. What's more, the density of the air that you use in any CFD that you want to use to um, uh, extend your research campaign will also be inaccurate because it's not going to be the same as what you used in your experiments. Check that out. We do PIV and traverses as well. Check them out. We do CFD courses, theoretical courses, and ex experimental courses so you can learn about more aerodynamics and get better, like what we're doing now, but even more in depth. And we also do the International Aerics Conference. It's a conference point every year so that we can get together and talk about aerodynamics. Okay, so let's get back to the paper about the arrow aerodynamics and how it decelerates over its flight. So they say for a time of less than four seconds, the arrow is exposed, uh, sorry, 0 0.4 seconds, so the first 0 0.4 seconds of its flight, the arrow is exposed to an average deceleration of 0 0.65 Gs. So that's about 6.5 meters per second per second reduction. That's quite a lot. But above, once it passes 0.45 seconds in its flight, the average deceleration was only 0.3 Gs. 
and the reason why they um, the reason why they said this occurred was because this is now the arrow has decelerated enough that the boundary layer is no longer turbulent; it's now laminar, and that accompanies a is accompanied by a reduced drag and it then a reduced g, so a reduced deceleration. So for the first part of its flight, the arrow is in um, a turbulent regime. In the next part of its flight, is in a laminar regime. And then they calculated the deceleration, int integrated it over the entire period, and they found that over the flight uh, path, the arrow reduced in velocity by 8%. So it's 8% slower at its final target of 55 meters compared to its initial release. And they said that such velocity reduction might also partially explain the transition from a turbulent to laminar boundary layer. So there's this, obviously, this coupling effect where the lower the velocity you go, the less drag there is, and then you won't decelerate as much, but there's also a laminar uh, component to that. So in conclusion, they, they talked about the uh, average drag coefficients. They said for a number above 18,000, the values of the drag coefficient were around 2.45 suggesting that the transition from them as turbulent boundary layers took place at this Reynolds number. So that's the kind of cutoff point. Below that, you get a much lower drag coefficient. Above that, you get a much higher drag coefficient. But then also, in the laminar regime, you want to be as fast as possible without triggering the transition because then you're going to be in a sweet spot. So that's it for this podcast. Make sure to like, like and subscribe. Check out other podcasts. Check out our instrumentation we do. Check out the courses we've got. Check out the International Conference. It's a constant every year. Links in the description. Peace out, amigos.